You and your family are listening to the weekly podcast of Journey Christian Church, located on 441, one mile north of Maitland Boulevard, 1965 South Orange Blossom Trail in Apopka, Florida. Our website, journeychristian.com. Today, Lead Pastor John Hampton will start out our new series called Secrets of the Spirit's Power. Through this message series, we will be looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We will have a better understanding of who He is and what He does in our lives. Our scripture text comes from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Today's message is entitled, Getting to Know You. Uh, I've been looking forward to starting this uh, series of messages for a while. I always wanted to kind of do something in the month of October about the Holy Spirit because we hear so many things during this time period about other kinds of spirits and evil spirits and ugly spirits and things like that. So I said, I want to do something to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit. So as we begin this uh, study uh, over the next three weekends, I want us to make Paul's prayer for the Ephesian followers of Jesus our prayer as well. Now, it's a little lengthy. Uh, I want you to read it with me, though. And if you're joining us on live stream, I want you to read it. Let's all read this out loud together. This is our prayer today. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Think of those three things, the hope to which we have been called, the riches of our inheritance in the body of Christ, and the incomparably great power we have as believers. Do you think if we just understood those three things, just those three things better, that our lives would be more on point, more focused, more purposeful, more enjoyable, more alive? I do. So why don't we live those kinds of lives? We all have that in, and more in Jesus. We all have the power we need for living. Here's the problem. The problem is we just don't know how to use it. Or more correctly, we don't know who this power is really coming from. Several years ago, I read about an abundantly wealthy but extremely frugal woman at the turn of the 20th century who surprisingly became one of the first people in her little town to have electricity brought to her house. It's, it's, it's odd for us to consider that at one point there was not electricity to every house and someone had to pay for it to be brought there, but that's how it was in the turn of the 20th century. Several weeks after she had her electrical power installed, a meter reader appeared at her door and he said, ma'am, your electric meter shows scarcely any usage at all. Are you using your electrical power? Certainly, she answered. Each evening I turn on my lights long enough to light my candles and then I immediately turn them off. <laughs> you see, she, she had tapped into the power, but she didn't know how to use it. Her house was connected, but her life was not altered. And yet, sadly, that's how many of us treat the Holy Spirit. We know that Christians believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet many of us treat him like he's a third wheel and not the third person of the Trinity. Mark Batterson, a favorite writer of mine, says, if you ignore one-third of the Godhead, you function at two-thirds capacity. It doesn't make you any less saved, but you're living below your potential. You're altered but not connected. There are dimensions of joy and grace that the pow and power that can only be accessed by the Spirit's help. So friends, I want to say to you, to ignore the Holy Spirit is to do so at our own detriment, and we're not going to do that. I'm not going to let you do that. 
Now, if you're a Christian and if I were to ask you to tell me about what God the Father means to you, most of us could talk about that without a lot of trouble. Maybe we would tell Jesus' famous story about the wayward son who was greeted by the running father, his arms outstretched, longing to welcome this boy back home. That's a very vivid, that's a very touching, that's a very embraceable picture of God the Father. If I were to say, can you tell me about Jesus, God the Son? What, what does he mean to you? You would probably tell me about his unique birth, his wonderful teachings, his mighty miracles, and certainly his sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection. But if I ask you to tell me, what does God the Spirit mean to you? I'd probably get a blank stare from you, kind of like this Kentucky football fan after most <laughs> games this season. Yeah. Now, you could put a Georgia fan in there uh, as well. Maybe a Gator fan in there after last night. I don't know. I don't know. Just, just saying. Who is the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit, Spirit kind of like spinach was for Popeye the Sailor Man? Remember Popeye the cartoon? When he was getting knocked around and he would suck some spinach through his pipe, which is no easy feat, mind you. And all of a sudden, his biceps would bulge and he'd have the strength of 10 men. Is that how the Holy Spirit works? Or is the Holy Spirit like a, an Aladdin's lamp that if I just rub it right and when I get in a jam, poof, out comes a spirit genie to find me a parking place or help me make a better grade or secure that promotion for me? Or maybe the Holy Spirit is like door number three and let's make a deal. So you remember, let's make a deal. Monty Hall was the host of it years ago. Some of you may be more familiar with the newer version hosted by Wayne Brady, but the concept is the same. So we think if I dress up uh, and kind of do weird things and shout loud and laugh hysterically or make a sound like an animal, then God will pick me and I'll get the prize behind door number three. I'll get a vision, a special prayer language, a miracle. Is that how the Holy Spirit works? Who or what is this mysterious power referred to 88 times in the Hebrew Scriptures? and 264 in the New Testament books. Today, I just want to introduce who the Holy Spirit is and introduce a few major ministries He does in our lives. Next week, we're going to talk about the freedom the Spirit brings into our life. And in the third and final message in this brief series, we'll talk about what hinders the work of the Spirit and what helps the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's get started. Who is the Holy Spirit? The first thing you need to hear is this. He is a person who loves you. The place to start in understanding the Holy Spirit is to understand this. He is not a force. He is a person. We all know the famous line from Star Wars, may the force be with you. And that's how many people think the Holy Spirit is like, that he's this impersonal force out there somewhere that we've got to connect with. And if we do, it helps us conquer the dark forces in our life. But friends, the Holy Spirit is a person. The best introduction that describes who the Spirit is and what He does is Jesus' introduction of the Spirit to His disciples the night before He was crucified. This is from the Gospel according to John in chapter 14. I want you to pay particular attention to all the personal pronouns that Jesus uses describing the Spirit. He says, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you and will live in you. Jesus does not say the world cannot accept it because it neither sees it nor knows it, but you know it. 
whenever Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit, he always referred to a personal presence. He never refers to him as an impersonal force or even an amazing source of divine energy. The Holy Spirit is not like an ocean wave that's going in a certain direction and you got to get on top of that wave to be carried along with it. But that wave doesn't know whether you're there or not or doesn't really even care if you're there or not. The Holy Spirit's not like that. The Holy Spirit is a person who loves you. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of a person. Holy Spirit has complete knowledge. Paul says the Spirit searches the deep things of God. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is as a search, uh, is to search as in search engine. You know, the total number of servers Google employs is a very well-kept secret, but one recent estimate puts the total at 2,376,640 servers. Think about that. Using a search algorithm called PageRank, Google crawls 20 billion websites every day and performs over 100 billion searches per month. Now, those of us who grew up with the library card catalog system, we harbor a little resentment toward those who never had to search by subject, author, or title. We also marvel at the Internet's capacity to put knowledge at our fingertips with just a click. And yet as remarkable as all that is, it doesn't hold a candle to the Holy Spirit's search engine. After all, there's nothing he doesn't know. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The number of hairs on your head, which some of you didn't take a lot of time, every subconscious memory, every subliminal desire, the value of pi to the tenth millionth decimal and beyond. I don't even know what I just said. You name it, God knows it. And he's searching all things all the time. The Holy Spirit has a will. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, the Spirit distributes gifts within the church as he so decides. The Spirit's the one who looks out at a congregation, a body of Christ like this, and says, I need to give him the gift of encouragement, and I need to give her the gift of giving. I need to give him the gift of helps. I need to give her the gift of administration. The gifts of the Spirit are evidence that the Spirit is active and working through the church as he discerns and decides. Holy Spirit has a mind. Paul said again, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Again, I'm not sure I understand everything that verse says, but what I do understand is this. It is the Holy Spirit who hears our prayers and brings them before God. He has the awareness to say, Father, John has a good heart, but he's asking for the wrong things. Father, give John what he needs, not what he's asking for. The Holy Spirit is interceding for me. But this verse is saying that the Spirit isn't just praying for us. He's praying through us when we don't even know what to pray for. He's able to take my mumblings and stumblings and prayer, and he's able to interpret my intentions to God when I can't even find the right words to express them myself. That's why I trust the Spirit's intercession more than my intuition. One pastor put it like this, Lord, I want what you want more than I want what I want. Holy Spirit has affections or emotions. Paul says to the Roman believers, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, are you aware that just like God the Father loves you and God the Son loves you, that God the Spirit loves you? You aware of that? The Holy Spirit has emotion manifested in many ways according to Scripture writers. For example, the Spirit can be offended, the Spirit can be lied to, the Spirit can be insulted, the Spirit can be grieved, all of which speak to the fact that the Holy Spirit has feelings and emotions like any 
person has. Why? Now, let's just pause a moment. I've given you a lot of material here at the very beginning. Why is it important to know that the Holy Spirit is a personal presence, not just an impersonal force? Because one of the things that we're called to be as a follower of Jesus is to be filled with the Spirit, which means we are to experience the full and abundant life that Jesus promised. We are to be carried along by that inner stream of living water that the Holy Spirit produces in us. And there's nothing like that. And I want that. And I want that for you. We'll talk more about that next week. But if we think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, then we'll go about seeking to be filled with that in a different way than if we understand the Spirit as a person. If you tried to be filled with an impersonal force, you go about that in a mechanical way. For example, Eastern religions conceive of God as an impersonal force. Therefore, Eastern religion approaches God by meditation, but the nature of the meditation is to empty the mind of rational thoughts or words. Why? Because we're trying to get in touch with this universal force. Christian meditation, biblical meditation, is not emptying the mind, rather it's filling the mind with the words of God. It's a completely different approach. Since the Spirit is a person, then to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with a person. So how does that work? Well, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we allow him to occupy and control every area of our lives. And so I brought a little simple illustration. I just ran across this a a couple of days ago, read it, and uh, a seminary professor uses an illustration like this to kind of help his class understand the difference between just possessing the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit. So I thought this was pretty good, and I'm a simple-minded guy, so it made sense to me. And if you don't like it, we're going to blame the internet because my mom says the internet's the source of all problems. So we're just going to go with that. All right. I've got two glasses of water. I got two packages of Alka-Seltzer. Anybody ever use any Alka-Seltzer? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is, right? Boy, I'm showing my age on that one, aren't I? All right, here we go. I just put Alka-Seltzer in that water. That glass of water contains Alka-Seltzer. See that right there? It's in there. Not doing anything. Now we're going to unwrap this package. Oh, and there we go. Those little bubbles start permeating, start filling in, starts filling every molecule of water with the cold relief remedy contained in that package. (laughs) Right? Right? See, now this this glass of water, that contains Alka-Seltzer. It's not doing any good. It's connected but not altered. But this, there's a just like every Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. But notice how you can have the Holy Spirit and not the filling of the Holy Spirit. You too, you can be connected but not altered. Here's what I know for sure. I need to yield as much of me as I can to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And friends, when we do that, he doesn't make us better than anybody else. He makes us better than ourselves. He gives us wisdom beyond our knowledge, strength beyond our stamina, and gifting beyond our ability. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we become the best version of ourselves. We become better than our best thought, better than our best effort. We become the best version of ourselves possible, and I want that. And I want that for you, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit wants that even more than we want it for ourselves. But the Holy Spirit is not just a person who loves you. The Holy Spirit is the God who surrounds you. The writers of Scripture 
speak of the Spirit as having the very attributes of God. For example, the Holy Spirit is eternal. The Hebrews writer calls the Holy Spirit an eternal spirit. He's omniscient. We've already looked at how he searches and knows all things. He's omnipresent. The psalmist said, where can I go to get away from your spirit? If I go to the heights, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's in every boardroom, every classroom, every ugly room, every smoky room, every happy room, every room. Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent. The Spirit possesses the power of God. Paul told the church in Rome that miracles and signs that God did through him was through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Many times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is equated with God. A great example comes from the writing of the great church historian Luke in Acts, the fifth chapter. There, Luke records this story that Peter said to a man named Ananias that he and his wife had lied to the Holy Spirit. He says that in verse 3, the very next verse, verse 4, Peter says, why did you lie against God? Peter equates lying to the Holy Spirit as lying to God. Paul concludes the second preserved letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church with these great words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, of course, Paul here is affirming the triune nature of God, which has come to be called the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Stated differently, God is one in essence and three in persons. You might say, well, explain the Trinity, Pastor. I can't even begin. I can only accept it as a mystery disclosed in Scripture. One man wrote, it should be no surprise that the triune being of God baffles our finite minds. We should be surprised, rather, if we could understand the nature of our Creator. He would be a two-bit deity, not the fathomless source of all reality. Friends, too much of our time is spent trying to chart God on a grid, and too little time is allowing our hearts to feel in awe of Him. When I think about the complexity of the Trinity, the three-in-one God, my mind cannot understand, but my heart feels the wonder and abundant satisfaction. And it is though my heart, in the midst of its euphoria, is saying to my mind, There are things you cannot understand, and you must learn to live with this. Not only must we learn to live with it, we must learn to enjoy this. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's he's not a, or excuse me, he is a person. He's not a force. He's a person who loves you. He's the personal divine residence in the Christian heart. And secondly, he's the God who surrounds you. What does the Holy Spirit do in my life? I just want to introduce this today. Next week, we'll go more in depth about this. First of all, the Holy Spirit has the power to comfort you. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Paraclete is the Greek word translators used for the word counselor. I'll give you another paraclete, the King James. If you like the old King James, it translates it comforter. I'll give you another comforter, which makes it sound like the Holy Spirit's a quilt that you throw over you when you're having a tough day. Kind of like grandma's quilt. That doesn't do do justice to the concept. But the word counselor, maybe is not much better. I mean, is that like a camp counselor or a marriage counselor or a divine consultant? Friends, when you see translators coming up with many different alternatives for the same word, that means that that word is too rich for one English word to convey. Literally, para means to come alongside, not be out in front of or behind, but literally beside me, cleat means to declare, to call, to literally argue. We'll come back to that in a moment. 
Jesus was saying to his troubled disciples as he was about to be betrayed and killed that he will give them someone who will never leave them. Someone who's not limited by a body to one place, someone who is not confined to just a three-year ministry, but one who has the same concerns, the same purpose, and the same love that Jesus has for them to be with them and in them forever. Jesus says the Spirit comes to comfort us by representing the same power and presence in spirit form that Jesus represented in bodily form. That's what the phrase another counselor indicates that Jesus said. Jesus saying, this one who is coming is going to be everything that I am, yet he's not the same as me. He's distinct from me, but he's able to do everything I can do and even in greater capacity because he's the spirit who's not limited by time and space to a body. He's never going away. He will be with you to the end of the age. Paul says these wonderful words to the Roman Christians. He says, for you did not receive a spirit It makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. One of the great ministries the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within us, and he helps us see that we are, in fact, God's child. We belong to him. Have you, ever, let me, have you ever gone to somebody else's family reunion? Maybe just were a guest and you went along. Or maybe have you ever gone to a class reunion that wasn't your class reunion? Maybe you were the spouse or the plus one going to class reunion. You know how you kind of felt like an outsider, like somebody that didn't belong because you didn't graduate the same year everybody else did? Or you don't know how funny Uncle Buck is or how weird Aunt Bertha is. You're just kind of there. But it really wasn't for you. And you know what? Many people live in a relationship with God like that. But Paul says the Holy Spirit enables us to say, Abba, Father. Abba in this context is not a Norwegian rock group. And thank you for getting that. Saturday night just kind of looked at me a little bit stunned on that one. It's an Aramaic word used by a baby from the Middle East to say, Dada, Papa. The Holy Spirit enables you to put away the formalities of these and thous and just speak in familiar, intimate terms with, with God. We can even call God Daddy. It's the Holy Spirit that gives me a sense of intimacy and assurance that I am part of the body of Christ. I belong to Jesus and his family. I told you earlier that this word counselor, comforter comes, means to come alongside and call and declare and even argue, even argue the facts of who we are in Jesus. He is our like paralegal, paraclete. He's our legal advocate. He represents us. He argues for us against our enemies from without. But listen, I personally believe the greatest advocacy work the Spirit does is to argue against the enemies from within our own hearts and our own minds. What am I talking about? Look again at these words from Paul. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what Paul is saying here? When your heart is filled with fear, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, you don't need to be afraid. God loves you. God's with you. You are God's child. And then Paul writes after that, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. that we are. The word testifies here is a technical Greek word that means the star witness in court. This is the person that brings the defining testimony in court that settles the case. This person, after the court hears from this witness, it's over. Case is closed. 
And what Paul is saying is when your heart is filled with doubt and fear and anxiety, the Holy Spirit comes along and testifies and says there's no reason to doubt. There's no reason to be filled with fear. You are his. You are loved. You belong to Jesus, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus. There's an interesting passage written by John, one of Jesus' original disciples, in his first letter preserved in the New Testament. John writes this. Now, it's a great passage. If our hearts condemn us, wow. Anybody ever have your heart condemn you? If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. John is saying the same thing that Paul said. The Holy Spirit's greater than our own hearts, and he will argue the fact that we belong to Jesus even against our own condemning thoughts. He will literally pound you with the gospel again and again, over and over, that you're loved beyond what you can imagine. You have a hope stored up in heaven that it's imperishable. You have an inheritance and glory that can never be stolen. You have a power to help you face whatever life hits you with. And friends, if that doesn't comfort you, I don't know what will. The final work of the Spirit I want to look at today is the Holy Spirit has the power to convict and convert you. You remember what it was like before you came to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? For some of us, that's not very hard because you're still not convinced. And if that describes you, I want you to know you're welcome here. Thank you for being here and at least being glad to open and being open to an, uh, a hearing. For some of you, you've, you've only been recently convinced and you remember very well what it was like to question, to wonder, to hear things and then pass them off as no big deal. And for some of us, it's hard to remember a time when you didn't love God and believe in Jesus. But in order for us to appreciate the Spirit's work in this realm, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the not yet convinced for just a moment. You need to remember before you were convinced how when you heard some preacher come on TV or radio, you couldn't change the channel quick enough. Or when a neighbor or coworker invited you to go to church with him, you shook your head and thought, what kind of religious kook are you? Get a real life. We need to remember that for the unbeliever, the gospel is considered foolishness. It's a stumbling block. Grace doesn't make any sense. Paul says the God of this world has blinded the minds, not the eyes, but the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see. There's a blinding that occurs in our intellectual capacity to understand what God has said and what he's done through the person of Jesus. Who in the world can change a mind like that? Who has the power to transform that kind of thinking? The Holy Spirit does. You may have thought you were converted by your parents or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor. You may have thought a certain sermon you heard or a key event happened in your life. You'd be wrong. You were convinced and converted by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brought conviction in your mind. I'm lost. Jesus saves, and I'm going to follow him as my Savior and my Lord. Only the Holy Spirit enables you and me to say that. Someone wants to know what's the difference between condemnation that we talked about a few moments ago and conviction. Condemnation is feeling guilt over confessed sin. Condemnation comes from the enemy and is meant to discourage and disorient. It's that little voice in your head that keeps bringing up what God's already forgiven and forgotten. And I want to tell you again that when the enemy reminds you of your past that you've already confessed and brought under the blood of Jesus, you need to remind him of his future because his ultimate failure is as certain as your present forgiveness. So condemnation is feeling guilty over confessed sin. Conviction, on the other hand, is feeling guilty over unconfessed sin. Jesus said, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Conviction is healthy. comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the way we get right with God. It's the way we get on with our lives. If we don't listen to his convicting voice, then you're not going to hear his comforting voice. 
When the first gospel message was preached after Jesus' resurrection, we read that the people after hearing Peter preach were pierced in their heart. Have you ever been pierced in your heart by the Holy Spirit? I can recall even as a little boy hearing preachers speak at the little Methodist church I grew up in. I felt they were speaking directly to me. Their words were so crisp, so clear, so sharp. Their appeal to follow Jesus touched me so deeply, so personally. And it was like all of a sudden, lights came on inside me and it made so much sense. Do you remember when that happened to you? When you finally got a clue as to who Jesus was? Maybe you heard about him many times before, but who knows why that didn't happen then? I, I don't know. Maybe you were too defiant, too resistant. Maybe your heart had not been broken. Maybe the financial rug had to be yanked out from under you. Maybe you had to fall down the ladder of success, or maybe you climbed the ladder that you thought led to success and found out it was leaning against the wrong wall. Maybe your spouse had to walk out. Maybe you had to be arrested, spend some time in jail. Whatever it was, there was that all of a sudden realization, this message is for me. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Life magazine once did an issue titled, Who is God? in which the question was asked of people from all over the world, who is God? And one interview was with a man named David B. That was his name in the article. He was identified as the illegitimate son of a Frenchman who began to steal when he was 13, and he was then, at the time of the interview, in the fourth year of a 21-year sentence for murdering a man during an armed holdup. His statement captured the power of the Spirit to convict and convert. I want you to listen to what this guy said. He said, I didn't set out to kill him. But I did so in cold blood when it seemed necessary. I didn't give it another thought at the time. I thought that I would shrug it off the way I successfully ignored all my other crimes. But I soon discovered that a man who commits murder sets himself apart from all other human beings for the rest of his life. And one day I woke and felt that I'd been permanently stained by my act. The feeling grew so strong I was almost relieved to be caught the feeling of horror, of disgust, of shame grew. I consulted a priest in prison. He gave me a Bible, and as I began to read, I was somewhat comforted, not initially by a sense of God's forgiveness, but by the conviction that he was present. The sense of separation I felt suggested the existence of a being who was offended and yet one who cared. What a great phrase. What most impresses me now, he writes, is the mercy of God, his refusal to be shocked by anything I could do. The God I know is a knowing but forgiving God. He can forgive all the more because he's nobody's fool. I still feel guilty, but I can feel calm and serene about my guilt. I can face it because I know I'm not alone in the universe. I'm convinced the Bible has a lot more to teach me than guilt, he says, but it is hard. I feel newborn before this religion and defenseless before the intensity of my feelings. I've always been violent, and I'm hoping that God may help me have a little self-control. God, he writes, let me learn to be reasonable. And that brings us to the final work of the Spirit we're going to look at today. The Holy Spirit has the power to comfort, to convict, to convert, and He has the power to change. And we're going to finish where we started this message with this wonderful prayer that Paul offered on behalf of the Ephesian Christians. But I'm going to read the words just ahead of the words that we opened with. Here we go. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, Paul is not praying here that these folks would receive the Holy Spirit. They already have the Spirit or they wouldn't be Christians. And Paul wouldn't be writing to them. 
So what is he praying for when he asks God to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation? He's praying that they would grow deeper and deeper in their walk of faith in Jesus, that they would not just hear information about Jesus, but they would experience transformation in and through Jesus. And friends, that's my prayer and that's my hope for us as we, can know, as we get to know this loving, comforting, powerful third person of the Trinity. J.I. Packer is a respected, he's a widely read Christian scholar. Many of his books on faith are, are classic books, and he wrote these helpful words. I want to close with this. He says, the Holy Spirit's distinctive new covenant role is to fulfill what we may call a floodlight ministry. Think about that, a floodlight. Packer explains he was walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, and it's these words. Jesus said, he shall glorify me. He, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify Jesus. And Packer says he came around the corner, and when he came around the corner, he saw the building floodlit, kind of like this. And he realized that's exactly the illustration his message needed. Now think about it. Just look at that picture. When floodlighting is done well, the floodlights are so placed you don't even see them. You're not, in fact, supposed to see where the light's coming from. Nobody walks up and says, wow, that's a great floodlight. <laughs> what you're meant to see is the object on which the floodlights are focused. The intended effect is to make the visible that would be otherwise invisible or in darkness and to maximize the dignity of the object by throwing all of its details in relief so you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Holy Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Friends, the Spirit's message is never look at me, listen to me, get to know me. But it's always look at Him, see His glory, listen to Him, hear His Word, have life, get to know Him, taste His gift of joy and peace. Oh, friends, what a, what a beautiful person who loves you. Not a force, but a person who loves you. And what a great ministry the Holy Spirit has for us as we open our lives to receive that. Would you join me in prayer right now? So, Father, we give you thanks that you have given us uh, just a moment right now just to consider again the work of the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, thank you for even right now interceding for us and just having your way. We pray across this room for those that are joining us in any kind of a, a live stream or electronical means. Father, we just pray right now that, that you're the work of your spirit using the words of God, pointing people to the Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. Father, I just pray that you would have your way right now. And we just are reminded as we're going to sing in just a moment that we're not enough in ourselves. We're, we're certainly not. But when you come, when you meet us in this place, as only you can do, then wonderful things happen. And so I would say, Father, our, the answer to whatever prayer we have on our heart is, God, give us more of the Holy Spirit. Or more correctly, may you help us open more of our hearts up to the Holy Spirit to fill us in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message, Getting to Know You with Lead Pastor John Hampton. For service times and more information about Journey Christian Church, please log on to our website anytime at journeychristian.com or call 407-88-GRACE. That's 407-884-7223. 